This is a Soulfire production. What is up, everybody? Welcome back to Politically Homeless. I am your host, Connor Moore. I've had an influx of new listeners, and if you're new to the show, welcome. I appreciate you, and I love you. One thing you'll know, find out here soon, if you're new to this show, is that we do everything we do here with love. For real people. Not politicians, necessarily. But anyways, oh man, I spent way too much time arguing with some... MAGA weirdo online this week wasn't interesting. They just did not like my take on this potential for the Trump migrant caravan conspiracy theory that I was espousing on something to think about. And I thought we were having a good time. I can watch conspiracy theories and just have a good time. It doesn't matter. There's evidence. I don't, I don't need, you know, I take it as my level of seriousness around certain conspiracies has to do with the level of evidence of the questions asked. And I just point, you know, if I would have said that George Soros funded Um, the migrant caravan without evidence, lots of people on the right would have cheered the MAGA crew. If I would have said it was Joe Biden, if I would have said it was Barack Obama, I would have said Barack Obama was in Ecuador herding up people and sending them North. People would have been like, I bet he was, I bet he was taking a few children and, and drinking their blood too. Yeah. But if I say it's Trump, it's a, it's a fucking problem. It's a problem. So that was weird. That was an interesting time, but Something else I did with my time this week, I listened to Jocko Willink on Jordan Peterson's podcast, and I found that interview just incredibly impressive. And Jordan Peterson's not a professional interviewer by any means, um, and I don't listen to his show often, and I don't listen to Jocko that much. I like I love Jordan Peterson, and I like Jocko too. Um, I don't really like glorifying war, even though I think if anybody does it well, it's Jocko. Um, but I've never heard Jocko get pressed on the morality of his actions in war. And Peterson didn't let him off the hook. And Jocko didn't answer all the questions, and he, and he danced around some with uh, some hyperbole, I guess. But it, it was, on the whole, a very good interview. And I actually found it, and this is hard for me to say, I actually found it quite motivating. I felt like I really needed to like get my shit together, which is the impact that Jordan Peterson has. And we're going to talk about him later on the show. We're also going to talk about Nancy Pelosi. Cause I know everyone loves that. Uh, we've got Brian Stelter making an ass of himself again. A couple of people have gotten shot, which is sad. Um, this really intense <laughs> article from the, from the Atlantic talking about the cost of vaccine refusals that we will completely tear apart. And then of course, as of today, I did not want to do this today. I'm gonna be real with you. I did not want to do this today. But we're going to be talking about the Project Veritas Expose CNN recordings. Um, and then in something to think about, we're going to just go down the rabbit hole on some cognitive fuckery and how it may have played a part in how we got here today. Um, so we got a good show. It's a good show. It's a longer show. You know, I, I think, and I keep, I've said this before, but things got crazy and I was co-hosting other shows and doing some different things. But I really think with the amount of stuff that just keeps happening, I keep living in this delusional fantasy land where I think that things are going to slow down. Like it's like, oh yeah, it'll be like, you know, two or three important stories a week. Um, that has by, not, by no means been the case. By no means. So be on the lookout for an extra show 
uh, maybe coming out on Mondays. We may do a Monday, Monday, Wednesday, Friday type of thing. Uh, I do need a little day, a few days a week for just my general mental health as I wade through this bullshit. But just keep keep an eye out for that. Um, and as as the downloads continue to increase and more people find themselves politically homeless and, and trying to dodge the bullshit, well, that just that only leaves you very few places to go <laughs> where we can openly disagree. And I will say, you know. I get so many messages from people that are reaching out and just like, I didn't get lots of messages every day because of the things I talk about and whatever. Um, but my favorite messages to this day are the ones that are, that are people saying, Hey, I don't agree with everything you say, but I appreciate your perspective. I mean, I had my fucking mom call me today and she's been listening to my podcast, like through the backlog. So she's listening to old shows and she was talking about how we had the same sense of humor and she finds my show very funny and she doesn't watch news anymore because she fucking hates it. <laughs> and so she, she gets her news. My mom gets her news from my podcast, which of the seven listeners, I'm really pr- proud to have her uh, involved in the situation, but things are going well. Make sure if you want to support the show to uh, leave a review on Apple podcasts, maybe share it on your Instagram. And if you really want to support the show, get your happy ass over to the Patreon. It is the jam. And, uh, I've actually had someone from the Patreon who was in the deep state. So there's two tiers, there's operative and deep state, um, because we are looking at creating a violent militia out of the Patreon, as we all know. Um, so one of the deep state members requested that I do a Patreon only episode while on mushrooms. This person has never tripped before and apparently thinks that would be hilarious. So, uh, something I'm playing around with, but I'm going to need good topics. And every week in the, uh, politically homeless Patreon, I do a, a crowdsourced podcast. So I ask for topics and questions from the community and we do a show just for the community. You can hit the link in the show notes to join the politically homeless Patreon and make your political homelessness official. It's the only way you can do it. There's really no other way now. So with all that being said, I think it's time. It's time for the state of things. Let's get into it. I hope it's a good one. I hope, I hope it satisfies. Nancy Pelosi getting accused of insider trading yet again. And we're going to go over this just quick, but I thought it was, I thought it was worth talking about because Nancy Pelosi is just such a polarizing figure. It's just such a polarizing and dominant figure. I think she just released a book, by the way, talking about her lessons in power, but we'll just check this out real quick. Speaker Nancy Pelosi is being accused of insider trading after her and her husband bought up to $10 million in Microsoft stock early in March. Now there's nothing illegal about buying $10 million in Amazon or in a, um, did I say Amazon in Microsoft stock as a politician, as a, as the leader of the democratic party within the house of representatives, that's not a problem, which, which is kind of odd that that's not a problem, but it's legal. That's fine. But then, uh, just a few weeks after their purchase, the Pentagon announced a massive $22 billion contract with Microsoft to, uh, cr- create, augmented reality headsets. So now not only is she, you know, making huge trades on call options for Microsoft, but it was just conveniently right before there was a $22 billion contract signed with the Pentagon to create augmented reality headsets. Now there's so many things within this 
that are problematic for me. So many things within this that are that are challenging. I think, okay, well, I, I guess our military is getting into like some ready player one shit, which is gonna be weird. And and maybe these headsets like just make it easier to kill, like on that Black Mirror episode. I mean, I don't really know what to even think about this aside from how many times do we have to accuse Nancy Pelosi of insider trading before she gets exposed as doing insider trading, right? Like we were all about uh, Martha Stewart getting arrested for insider trading, but uh, the house, uh, the speaker of the house is immune to this. And her husband's a big time investor and her net worth is like hundreds of millions of dollars. When is it enough? Can you not just chill on the trading? Like why, why is this, a thing that you're doing. And I understand like money is power and power is great and you love it and you get off on it. And that's like something you really enjoy about your life. And I don't want to infringe upon your freedom to pursue happiness in whatever way that you feel is best for you. But at the same time, I would prefer you didn't fuck people over and manipulate the markets for your own benefit, Nancy Pelosi. That would just be great for everybody. Maybe it's just not the best look to be making $10 million moves with Microsoft, knowing that they're in bed with the intelligence agencies like maybe it's not the it's not the best move for you to be able to trade stocks with companies that have private partnerships with the federal government organizations maybe that's not the move maybe you should have some integrity okay a little integrity in the way you handle yourself when it comes to how you make money maybe $175,000 a year that's of taxpayer money is enough for you I would, and I know, I know, I really understand that hypocrisy and cronyism is exhausting work and you need to stack that paper. You deserve it, Nancy Pelosi, because the level of hypocrisy and the, the, the extent of the cronyism that you, you participate in just, ha and the fact that you're like old as fuck, like it just has to wear you down. And I think you deserve to make so much money for that. And you just, you deserve to be rewarded for your contribution to our society. But maybe this isn't the way to do it, sweetheart. Maybe you need to calm down, Nancy. Maybe chill with the insider trading, okay? Maybe let's just not do that. Maybe do something else with your time. Maybe just quit politics altogether and go crochet some shit. Because at the end of the day, what I remember from you, what I will remember about Nancy Pelosi as we go forward, her legacy to me is blocking stimulus checks for political reasons, fucking the American people out of money they need to survive for political gain. And then insider trading is a close number two. And just, just generally being a fucking crybaby bitch about most things that were happening that she didn't like. So that's Nancy Pelosi. I just wanted to get over that real quick. That was worth talking about. Now let's move on. Joe Biden requests a $753 billion defense budget, which is just a slight increase over the previous year. We've got this article here from The Hill breaking it down. All right, so the Pentagon's budget is just so fat, so thick. This is insane. Oh, President Biden is requesting a $753 billion defense budget for the next fiscal year, with $715 billion of that going to the Pentagon. 
The fiscal 2022 budget proposal represents a slight increase over this year, likely to upset both progressives who have sought to cut the Pentagon budgets and defense hawks. The budget outline released Friday does not detail exactly what the money would buy. And we will never know, by the way, what that money goes to because the Pentagon is is defended from audits, by the way, just so we're clear on that. But a more comprehensive proposal is expected later this spring. A fact sheet released by the White House of the Defense Department budget prioritizes the needs to counter the threat from China as the department's top challenge. Uh, the threat from China. You mean the, the 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 country that has three foreign military bases to our 800 and the country that has 20 times less nukes than we do. 20 times. That's our major threat, and that's worth $753 billion of taxpayer money. Interesting. The budget also proposes executable and reasonable investments in the Navy fleet, supports ongoing nuclear modernization programs while ensuring that these efforts are sustainable, and continues to ensure that U.S. soldiers, sailors, airmen, Marines, and Guardians remain the best trained and equipped force in the world. I don't think there's any doubt that that will continue to be the case, while also supporting Pentagon plans to divest legacy systems according to the fact sheet. It also said the budget would support efforts to plan for the plan and mitigate impacts of climate change on Defense Department facilities and, and invest in power and energy research and development. That seems like some smoke and mirrors bullshit right there. The overall defense budget includes both Pentagon funding and non-Pentagon programs, such as Department of Energy nuclear weapons funding. <laughs> I don't understand why the Department of Energy is involved in creating nu- nuclear weapons. That's uh, do they have nuclear weapons? Like, do different departments within the United States have their own brand of nuclear weapons? Weird. Uh, Friday release. Friday's release officially kicks off the jockeying over the defense budget on Capitol Hill. The lawmakers have already been drawing their battle lines. While the administration proposes a budget, it is up to Congress to fund the government and lawmakers routinely deviate from or sometimes simply ignore presidential defense budgets, mainly dependent upon their uh, funding from defense contractors. I added that last part in there, but it is by no means false. Okay. So if the Hill wants me to pay for some ads, I will not do that. Okay. Anyways, moving on. So we look at this and people are going to be upset about this. People are going to be very upset about this because it's, it's not slashing the budget in half, which is maybe unreasonable. But when we look at the whole thing here, it's not even increasing with the rate of inflation, which is fine. But I feel like the the military industrial complex has had its its hand up the executive branch's ass since before the Eisenhower era. And Eisenhower did do a lot to warn us about the military industrial complex, which I feel runs way more of the world than what we like to believe. And I look at this and I think about the this budget in combination with the rhetoric around domestic terrorism and what i feel like here is that domestic surveillance isn't cheap right domestic surveillance uh, using amazon and microsoft and companies like that to do their bidding but it's not cheap it's an expensive it's an expensive process to to surveil a population as big as the united states and the pentagon needs to do that to keep you safe from your neighbor So I think a lot of money goes there, which I think maybe we could make some cuts there. We could trim the fat a little bit on domestic surveillance. I think that might be a good idea, but they're doing a really good job of convincing you that everybody on the other side is either a communist or a Nazi. So the public will for domestic surveillance is probably at an all-time high. 
It's a very weird situation that we're in here. Now, if we keep going, uh, it says a $753 billion defense budget would be a modest increase over this year's $740 billion, as would a $715 Pentagon budget compared to this year's $704. The increase roughly reflects, reflects the rate of inflation, likely not enough to appease Republicans who have been pushing Biden to increase the budget by 3 to 5% over inflation. That's the amount of annual increase officials early in the Trump administration would be necessary to properly fund a, a strategy to reorient the military towards competition with China and Russia. There is no competition with China and Russia as far as our fucking military. Now, there are things that China does better than us and Russia does better than us, but it sure as fuck isn't weapons and military. Now, China has a ton more people. I understand that, but their military pales in comparison to ours. Now, their cyber attacks and things like that may be more advanced, but maybe this isn't the answer. This isn't the answer to that. Uh, this is just, this is fucking ridiculous. President Trump's Pentagon budget was already outrageous. President Biden just outdid it with when without war advocate director Erica fine said in a statement Thursday, following a year of deadly proof that throwing money at the Pentagon does not keep us safe from modern day threats. It is unconscionable to not only extend Trump's spending spree, but add to it. In response to prog progressive criticism, an administration official defended the request by arguing the budget works to bring non-defense spending back to its 30-year historical average. Well, 20 of those 30 years, we've been fighting a fraudulent war in the Middle East. So I don't really know if that's a great comparison to make there. So if we look at this whole thing here, I mean, progressives are upset about this. And this is actually not, uh, an area where I agree pretty much wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly with progressives, even though I don't want to take the uh, money that is that is diverted away from the Pentagon and use it to create re-education camps for critical race theory. That's where we differ a little bit, but I think in the way that military spending is done and just the fucking lack of transparency. Like, if they could sit here and, and, and do a, an actual audit and tell us where this money is going, that would be one thing. But we don't see it. We don't see it, and, and maybe some of that, and I understand some of that, yes, is for national security. Got it. But the fact that the, the Pentagon hasn't been audited in something like forever, it gives me a little pause in, in having my patriotism be tested by looking at this number and thinking this isn't absolutely fucking egregious. And yes, it does take billions of dollars to pay for military, and that is important. And we do need to have um, be you know a leader in certain aspects as it comes to when it comes to weapons and things like that, of course. But we have no transparency on where this money goes, and I, I would I would go as far to say that that defense contractors are getting overpaid. I think there's been zero accountability for these defense contractors. I think that their the their influence they have in Washington is 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 an atrocity. And we look at this and nobody's willing to take a stand. And this is one of the reasons that I was so appreciative of the Bernie Sanders era and when he was running in two primaries and getting fucked over twice. You know, which which led to this podcast by forcing me to become politically homeless because of the the sheer corruption within the Democratic Party. And these people are war hawks, but I don't want to hear someone in the fucking comments saying that that Trump was the, the most anti-war candidate of all time, right? Like that's the most absurd shit I've ever heard either because all he did was shuffle troops around and increase drone strikes by 400 and some odd percent. So that's not anti-war. That's just like a facade. And we're in this kind of political semantic game as far as how this looks and what the headlines say. But in reality, we haven't had an anti-war president in my lifetime. 
at all. It's insane. And you could think maybe the only one, maybe Bill Clinton, but just out of circumstance, like, I don't, I don't know what we're doing here, but even he furthered the war on drugs. So you can't really say he was an anti-war candidate at all. And, you know, there's numerous other problems there as well by perpetuating modern neoliberalism that paves the way for Democrats that are war hawks. So we've got this really interesting situation here, but I wanted to bring this to light. This is something that one of my biggest criticisms of Biden is is his support for the war in Iraq and Afghanistan and using the excuse that he was duped by George W. Bush. I don't think many people have ever been duped by George W. Bush. And if you have the capacity to be misled by George W. Bush, maybe your judgment is suspect. So worth talking about, worth thinking about, worth looking at um, this increase. And maybe he's being, maybe there's more stuff going on behind the scenes with the intelligence community that I don't know, which of course is happening. But what we do have is a creeping up Pentagon and defense budget that is lacks any form of transparency and is funded by you and me and the other taxpayers of this country. And a lot of that is being pushed by the people who want to decrease taxes, but also want to increase your tax spending on things like the Pentagon. And that's sad. It's frustrating. But there it is. Well, Jordan Peterson is back in the news for a really odd reason. So let's check this out here. We've got this article from The Guardian saying, Jordan Peterson shocked by Captain America villain Red Skull espousing 10 rules for life. Ta-Nehisi Coates' new comic sees Red Skull mobilizing young men against the feminist trap and other Petersonian targets. So I don't know much about comic books because that's not not really my jam. I do enjoy uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Uh, But Red Skull apparently is a Nazi supervillain. Um, that has, yeah, he's like a Nazi guy. He's the, he's like the extreme super Nazi villain of all time. That's him. And then he's being opposed, of course, opposed by Captain America, who is, um, actually not that American in the way that he acts. I mean, America is more like Thanos than they are Captain America, but let's just leave that aside and pretend that the propaganda is correct. Anyways, Red Skull is not a good guy. He's a really bad dude. And if we look at the screen here, it says 10 rules for life, chaos and order, Carl Luger's genius and the feminist trap. So they're charactering uh, Peterson here in the form of a supervillain Nazi. So let's continue reading here. In the new issue of Captain America, the superhero's longtime nemesis, Red School, espouses his views about 10 rules for life, the feminist trap, and chaos and order. The Canadian psychologist Jordan Peterson is none too pleased. Written, And they're also going to kind of paint him like he was a snowflake, but I just heard him talking about this today and it he didn't seem like he thought it was that big of a deal. He was kind of annoyed, uh, but they were actually having a lot of fun with it and going to actually make some merch uh, going forward to kind of leverage this whole deal. Anyways, written by the award-winning author Ta-Nehisi Coates, the Marvel comic featured a version of the villain who looks to radicalize young men by telling them what they've always longed to hear, that they're secretly great, that the whole world is against them, that if they're men, they'll fight back, and bingo, that's their perfect purpose. That's what they're, they'll live for. And that's what they'll die for. Really? Tahashi? Is that his name? Tanishi? I'm such a Texan. Uh, Peterson, the self-portrayed professor against political correctness who wrote the book 12 Rules for Life and is adored by young white men who feel alienated 
described chaos as being presented by the feminine and says that masculine spirit is under assault. He took issue with the characterization saying, what the hell? He wrote on Twitter Tuesday after the comic was brought to his attention. Now, I'm going to stop periodically through this article here because I want you, I want people to understand how this is being strawmanned and taken completely out of context. In many explanations of the feminine, you act feminine and masculine. You, you see the feminine as being a more dominant and powerful force. Um, David data is somebody who speaks a lot of masculinity and you would think about it in, in some kind of archetypical way uh, as the, the feminine being the ocean and the masculine being the ship. And this isn't about male, female. This is just about levels of femininity and masculinity within individuals. There can be very feminine men and very masculine women. And it also has very little to do with sexual identity either. This is just more of a general statement. So like if you, if you were to, if you were to line up masculine traits and feminine traits, they're very, you know, they're different and they, they complement one another, right? So you would say that creativity and kind of openness or flowiness is more of a, a feminine trait and, and goal centeredness is more of a masculine trait. Again, not about men and women, Feminine and masculine, different conversation. And David Data actually had a really good explanation. And I think Peterson said something very similar where he talks about in order to find goals, right? The ship's goal is to get from point A to point B across the ocean, right? But the ocean has to be respected and appreciated and admired in a certain way by the captain of the ship because the ocean at any point can turn and swallow that ship, creating a tremendous amount of chaos. Right. So to strawman that and then and flip it on its head, which what he was saying in that statement is that the power within the feminine can topple everything because the feminine is that powerful. You just took that and turned it around and created a vast mischaracterization because you're a fucking pussy. That's why. That's why somebody would do this. Somebody would attack someone that does great, great work in disenfranchising people from radical ide- ideology. And make them a villain because you're a fucking coward. The author of this fucking article is a bitch. And I would say that to his fucking face. Anyways, moving forward. Peterson went on to post a series of his own adages, superimposing images of Red School, including the secret to your existence is right in front of you. It manifests itself in all those things you do and should do, but are avoiding. And if your life is not what it could be, try telling yourself the truth. If you cling desperately to an ideology or wallow in nihilism, try telling yourself the truth. That's really great advice, actually. Do I really live in a universe where Ta Nahishi Coates has written a Captain America comic featuring a parody of my ideas as part of a philosophy of the arc of a villain Red School? (sighs) Peterson later asked, adding, "It's it's, It's hard not to be shocked by the sheer surreality of the of the time we inhibit. The comic sees the baddie plan to stage demonstrations with the men he has radicalized online. To his countrymen, Captain America speaks of his dreams. He does not understand it's not the dream that moves men to the boldest action, but the nightmares, says Red Skull, as the comic shows images of rioting men across the U.S. wearing Red Skull and American flag masks. Red Skull goes on to say... What has happened to men of the world is truly one of the greatest tragedies of our time. I offer you the sword of manhood. <sighs> During Donald Trump's presidency, Red Skull was was also used to highlight the self-aggrandizing speech of Trump. Yada yada yada. Coates won the National Book Award between uh, for Between the World and Me and Examine. Uh, who fucking cares? Okay, so 
if we go on here, we just look at this, right? And I am a little bit triggered slash heated about this because of the impact that Jordan Peterson has had on my life and not only my life, but the life of my father. Okay. And if you don't understand, I've told this story before on the show, but if you don't know the history there, uh, really challenging relationship. My, my dad grew up, uh, as an addict or I was an addict most of his life, uh, didn't have a dad growing up, which creates a, a huge problem, um, with a lot of young men. And he recently uh, was released from prison. He was in there for about six or seven years, I believe. Uh, and we've kind of re reconnected and recreated our relationship. And one of the things that we spoke about early on when he started texting, you could text me from prison through like an email server type situation. Um, he, we started talking about Jordan Peterson and 12 Rules for Life. And he had to wait three months. There's only one copy in the federal prison he was in. He had to wait three months to get a copy of Jordan Peterson's 12 Rules for Life. And he loved it. And it helped him a lot and it helped him get his life in order and it helped him make some structure and it helped him focus on some things. And of people in the federal prison system, he said about 10% are there to make up for their lost time. If they, if he was in there for seven years, he wanted to add seven good years to his life and not waste them. He said 10% of people are there to make up for lost time and to better themselves and go forward. And those are the guys that he was hanging out with and like reading and doing these different things. And 90% of people are in there just to, and just figuring out how to do crime better when they get out. So Seeing that impact on him via Jordan Peterson and then seeing the man, Jordan Peterson, who's misunderstood, mischaracterized consistently, be, be made a villain of over and over again by fucking cowards and soft men who wouldn't have the balls to stand up for themselves if they got into a conflict and can't keep their own lives in order and don't want to hear the things that he has to say because they resonate, not because they're problematic, because they fucking matter. 12 Rules for Life was a fantastic book. Putting your life in order before you criticize the disorder of someone else's life is a paramount principle of any responsible human being's life. And yes, he does attract mostly young men, but Oprah attracts mostly middle-aged women, and I don't see that being a fucking problem. This is absurd. Young men need someone to look to, especially young men that don't have fathers. They need someone to look to to help them gain structure to help them have purpose in life. And that keeps people out of things like QAnon and BlueAnon and MAGA phenomenons. It wasn't like Peterson was an overt uh, uh, supporter of Donald Trump and can be characterized as that. They reached so far to mischaracterize this man as some kind of villain, which is the furthest thing from the truth. And it truly upsets me. It truly upsets me to see someone doing good work who has committed their life to doing good work, who has been through struggles, who has been through suffering, been through intense uh, mental health crises, 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 whatever, however you say that, and come out the other side with a pure intention to help other people and has done amazing work in that. And he just released a new book, 12 More Rules uh, Beyond Order, which I highly recommend and I'm about to start this week. But this just, this cowardice, this cowardice by weak men. I, I, I generally have compassion for most people, the vast majority of people, people that grow up in poverty, people that grow up with struggles, people with bad parents, people who struggle with addiction. And maybe that's because I can relate to those things. I don't know. But I have very little patience in, inside of me for weak, cowardice men. 
And those are the men that seem to be running our fucking media institutions and writing Marvel comics. Jesus fucking Christ. I can't, it, it, it just, it stings. It stings to see this. And look at your demographics. Who are the demographics of, of, of Marvel comic books? I would assume it's mostly young men. But you're going to criticize Jordan Peterson for having a primarily young male audience. Oh, excuse me, a young white male audience because you got to throw that in there. Truly upsetting. Truly upsetting. And I think the funny thing is, I think this will only backlash and sell more books for Jordan, and I hope it does. And I hope the merch that he makes off of this, I think he's making merch and then donating all the proceeds to charity, which shows the type of human being that he is. I have so much admiration and respect for Jordan Peterson, and I can understand if people don't like him, that's fine. But to me, things like this are beyond frustrating. Beyond frustrating. And... I just, I can't imagine, I can't imagine what your life has to be like to want to attack somebody who's doing good in the world just because it may not resonate with you. And just because he, 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 what? Because he didn't think legislating language was a good idea. The the sheer neglect of nuance and understanding and compassion and curiosity within men like the people who create this bullshit is one of the deepest problems in our society. And I'll say it, I think, I think weak men, and I don't mean physically weak, I don't even mean you have to go do fucking CrossFit and shit to be a strong man. I mean emotionally resilient men. The lack of those men in our society is a fucking problem. And if you don't notice that, you're delusional. So kudos to Jordan Peterson for having to put up with this bullshit and kudos to him for keeping, keeping his head on straight and moving forward. The man deserves respect and appreciation. And that's all I've got to say about that. So some people got shot this week and it's caused some more rioting. It's caused some more looting. It seems like anytime somebody gets shot, especially a young black man um, who was unarmed, apparently, um, I, it seems like that's an excuse to go steal Nikes, which I find very interesting, but I want to play two different videos. One, um, is the police shooting. The other is a police officer getting shot. One got a ton of coverage. One did not. Um, if you were listening to this only audio, I recommend going to the YouTube and watching these. I'm going to play on both for you. Try to describe as best I can. So we have these two different shootings here. So let's get into the first one. Uh, this is just really upsetting. So this is Dante Wright. Uh, it's hard to watch, but we're going to play it anyways. Let's go. So right here, they're letting Dante know that he has a warrant um, for various things. I mean, this guy is definitely not have a, does not have a clean record, but again, I'm, I will not defend that he didn't, he, I will defend that he didn't deserve to die. So they try and handcuff him here. Shit's about to go south. Like, what do you think... Is, what do you possibly think is going to happen here? You're going to get out, get away? 
whole world. Okay, so right there you can hear her say taser, taser, taser several times, and then she thinks she has her taser. And the way this breaks out is uh, police officers carry their uh, handgun on their dominant side and their taser on their non-dominant side. She drew from the wrong side. They're in very similar places. And um, she said, I'll tase you, taser, taser, taser. And I think the reason they do that is to get the other officer's hands off uh, when she does fire, because it can also electrocute them as well. Um, but, and also to let the suspe- suspect know that they're about to get tased. So she has now resigned. She was with the, with the department for 26 years. I think that, you know, I think about his family. I think about this is c- clearly a, a terrible situation. Um, and I think about her as well making a huge mistake that she'll have to live with for the rest of her life. So there's a lot going on there. And of course there's been tons of media coverage, but I wanted to show it. I wanted to talk about it. And I also want to show this as well. So this is a highway patrolman in New Mexico. Um, he walks, he pulls over this guy in a, in a Chevy single cab for having too dark of tent and the tent was blacked out. Now I do want to preface this with saying that I have been pulled over, um, for my tent before. And we're going to cut out a lot of the, the initial conversation because this is a rather long video. Um, but I've been told pull over by my tent in Archer County, Texas, when I was like 17, I had 5% tent. I, my tent was way too dark and, uh, was illegal. I thought it was great, but it was illegal. And the cops were not nearly as nice to me as this man was, um, to the man who ends up shooting him. And this, this whole situation is just so sad, so disgusting. It is censored, so if you want to watch this, it will it will pause uh, when the shooting happens. But this this ripped me up because this guy seemed to be a really sweet man and was very trusting, overly trusting. I would say as a police officer. Um, but we're gonna play it right here. Let's go. Okay. calling his wife to get his ID. Um, he's asked him to get out of the car a couple of times. We've been very, very calm and very um, collected about the whole situation. She's sending the pick. Let's go so that I can run my checks on you. So this guy apparently left his ID, and she was his, his girlfriend, or whatever, was sending the pick of the ID so he could run his numbers. He needs to run his name as well. Huh? Yeah. So I can run my checks and I can talk to you a little bit while I'm running my checks, and then you'll show me the picture right away because I got paperwork I gotta do. You know? Hey, hey, real quick, real quick. You have a firearm on you? So if you can't hear it, he's asking the guy if he has a firearm and he says that he just saw it. Take it off you for my safety. All right, hold on, hold on, hold on. All right, let's go to my vehicle, okay? Now we move into the dash cam. Gets out and he's holding an AR, which I thought was really crazy. Leans over the back of the truck, shoots the man. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. Gets back in the truck. Drives off.
another police officer comes right behind, and there's a couple of police that come to help him that I guess were coming to back him up. So there we have two shootings, one unintentional, one intentional. And I, I want to point this out, and this isn't a, a tit-for-tat type of game. Uh, clearly, I'm not going to defend that these men needed to die, either one of them, for doing anything. This is, you know, resisting arrest is not a, a crime punishable by death. Uh, pulling someone over should not also be a crime punishable by death. This is this is really sad. But I, I wanted to discuss the difference in the narrative around these two. We didn't hear about this man. Okay, this 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 highway patrolman that died um, was shot execution style by someone he had pulled over for their window tent. Did not get spoken about at all. Someone sent me this, and we had to play the video off of Instagram because someone sent it to me just letting me know that this had happened. And it happened, I think, in the day before or the same day as the other shooting of Dante. Both are tragic. Both the men should still be alive. But the media runs with one as if one is more of a tragedy than the other. And it it blows my mind that that life is now appreciated and honored more based upon what we would consider meaningless surface level bullshit. You know, this guy probably had a family and again, was very nice. Like one of the nicest officers I've seen. I mean, I've been pulled over by some nice cops. I've been pulled over by some assholes and I don't usually defend cops, but when someone, when, when a police officer acts with respect and treats someone with dignity, and that person turns around and shoots them in cold blood execution style. Something about that seems darker than an accidental discharge. And again, I'm not, I don't want to compare the two, but when you look at two lives being ended prematurely at the same time, essentially, and one causes riots and looting and the other is only felt by the local community. It, it, it makes you wonder where our priorities are as a nation and, and where our media outlets want to spend their time and what they want to do. So I wanted to cover those. You're going to hear a lot about uh, the killing of Dante, you know, that is listed as a murder. Um, I'm sure she will face some kind of criminal charges because uh, it seems like a pretty clear, like third degree murder, obviously unintentional. Um, and there will be repercussions for that. And I'm sure the, the, the mental repercussions, it, it, it seemed like she, uh, from all accounts that the, the officer who shot Dante, that she was, um, pretty distraught about the whole thing, but that doesn't take it back and that doesn't bring it back to life. And, um, yeah, that's where we're at. It's a, it's a, it's a weird time. I wanted to show those, wanted to explain that I didn't want to just beat a dead horse with this whole Dante thing. And, and, and and I know it's going to be a huge deal, and I'm not going to I'm not going to yell about looting and rioting. I'm not going to do all that. Um, this is not fun to talk about. I don't enjoy talking about this. I don't enjoy seeing this. I'm tired of fucking seeing people get shot. I'm really tired. I've watched more people die in the past calendar year, and it's 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 fucking hard. This is fucking hard to talk about. You know, like going into this, you think it's going to be a fun show. We're gonna have a good time, and like you know, we rip on Nancy Pelosi and do whatever. But this is reality. You know, this is reality. A guy whipped a fucking AR on a cop and shot him execution style on the side of the road. And some kid's resisting arrest and an officer pulls out of the wrong holster and thinks she's going to tase him and shoots him in the chest. And he dies a few blocks later when his car hits another vehicle. 
and you're seeing things, and that's the thing. And this is one of the. De- I, I'm going to go on a little bit of a tangent here. I think. I think that's where we're at now. The show is very free flow. If you can't tell, you know, I see people. I see people when these things happen, and I'm going to call Steven Crowder out for this. And I don't understand. I, I think that it's like the motherfucker can just make jokes about everything. But he's not a comedian, or he's not he's not positioning himself as a comedian, I, even though that's kind of what he is. He's like a hack comedian, right? Like, there's people that are funny that about dark stuff. Like, Anthony Jeselnik is one of my favorite comedians. He's really good at being funny about dark stuff. That's his thing. That's his bit. Whereas Crowder has kind of positioned himself as a as a political commentator, and he'll he'll make jokes about this stuff, and he'll recreate the George Floyd situation with somebody having their knee on him and doing it in a really in a really cowardice way and not really like actually doing it. Um, and then defending whatever the conservatives want to hear because that's his grift, right? And you see that, and I don't know what the difference is, but when I look at this, when I look at this situation and I, and I discuss these issues and where we're at with all of this, it doesn't bring me fucking joy. And I don't find a joke to be made. I don't find a joke. There's not a joke to be made about this. Just people, people's lives. And yeah, you know what? Dante was involved in some crime. Whether it was drugs and guns, yeah, they're going to post the, the typical photo with all the money. I get it. But you have no idea what got the kid there. You have no idea what got the kid there. You have no fucking idea. And to lack compassion for that, or even the curiosity to ask those questions, to me, is a problem. And then to completely ignore the death of a highway patrolman who, who was doing his job and being incredibly I guess I can say compassionate about the way he's doing it. You know, hey, do you have a firearm? Can I take it for my safety? Like that in contrast with the cops who pulled the National Guardman out of his car and pepper sprayed him for no reason. Like you can see that cops have the leverage oftentimes to be complete fucking pieces of shit. And this guy chose not to, even though he had the badge and the gun. And now his life's over. Because he maybe he was too trusting. It's just it's just complicated. It's fucking complicated. And to treat it like it's not complicated is naive and delusional. It's a very complicated situation. The gun situation is complicated. The policing situation is complicated. If you think that either one of them are adequate at this time, you're also delusional. We don't focus in the right direction often enough, and it leads us into further and further divisiveness. And that stings, and it, it it just it cuts, it cuts to the core. And I don't, I don't know. I want to say that I don't condone, condone the rioting, obviously, and the looting. And I, I mean, this GameStop has been looted twice in a year. Like these business owners are just getting hammered. And it's it's unfortunate. It's unfortunate, and it's complicated. And. For me to say anything more than those two things and act like I have some certainty as to what um, what should happen or what the right thing to do is um, would be me lying to you. And I don't feel appropriate doing that. It's sad and it's complicated. Let's move on. 
So Brian Stelter has found a way to cover himself in glory yet again. Brian Stelter, you egg-headed fuck. All right, so let's check this out here. Uh, and I got to give a shout out to the to the Hill and Rising Crystal and Sager for, for putting this on my radar. Uh, I know you all covered it, but I'm going to cover it as well because I just I can't not at this point. I think Brian Stelter is is a is a a staple of our epi- of our podcast. He's he's a big part of what we do here at Politically Homeless. <laughs> let's see what he has to say. I'll tell you what, I've read a lot of memoirs. I've never read a memoir uh, like this one before. This is Hunter Biden's book, Beautiful Things, that comes out on Tuesday. It is extraordinary. You know, you've heard about Hunter Biden over the years. You've heard all the tabloid coverage of Hunter Biden. You think you know his story. We know that right-wing media is obsessed with him. Fox News always uh, targeting him. And there are real questions to ask, including about that laptop uh, that CBS uh, is probing, uh, that CBS asked Biden about in an interview that's airing uh, today and airing again tomorrow. But this book, this book about addiction, about how many times Hunter Biden could have died, the president's son, it's breathtaking. All right, so let's just break that down. It's breathtaking. You know what's breathtaking, you stupid fuck, is um, the fact that you just ran an ad for the president's son's memoir and defended him in this situation. Now, I have tons of compassion, like I said, for addicts, okay? That's that's something that hits close to home, and I have a ton of compassion for addicts. That being said, that does dwindle just a bit when you're an influence-peddling, corrupt son of a politician, and that does change a little bit when your father and his vice president have locked thousands of people up by their actions and their legislation for minor nonviolent drug offenses when in the meantime you were ripping crack pipes like it was your fucking job that changes things just a little bit your drug warriors being on your side changes things just a little bit on a personal note Yes, I hope that he gets help and I hope he lives a better life and he's had some tragedy in his life and some serious trauma and that does lead to addiction and that's how that thing usually happens. And I understand that. But again, that doesn't mean that MSNBC needs to run ads for his fucking book on Brian Stelter's show. And the fact that Brian Stelter would sink that low. Like we don't even have the charade of nonpartisanship anymore. Not even at all. Right, and, and, and Brian Stelter is the kind of person that if if Tucker Carlson was promoting Donald Trump Jr.'s book about the struggles he's faced in his life or some dumb shit, he'd rip him apart. He'd rip him apart. That's what he does. He just cries about Fox News and conservatives all the time. He even found a way to do it in the ad for Hunter Biden's book. Are we for real here? <laughs> Are we for real? And, and, and then I saw something else that I almost put on the show again today too where he was complaining about Fox News hosts not posting vaccine selfies because everybody else is doing it. What in the fuck is your job? Like, I'm some asshole that lives in Denver that likes to yell into a microphone, and I do more reporting than you do. Literally. If we look at the hours that I spend talking about things that actually matter in the matter of hour in the hours that Brian Stelter spends talking about things that matter, I feel like I outweigh him by a lot. And this motherfucker's on CNN or on MSNBC or whatever. Is it CNN? It's CNN. Dude. 
By the way, CNN and MSNBC are interchangeable and oftentimes. <laughs> One has a slightly older audience, but the ratings are both in the shit. So we see this. We and, and it's it's hard to see this and not think of mainstream media as a joke. And that goes for both sides. Don't think that I'm like defending OAN and, and, and Newsmax and Fox News at all. It's all trash. It's propaganda networks. It's... It's at this point almost state-sponsored propaganda networks. I wonder how they're going to figure that out. That's coming down the pipe soon. It's getting very 1984 up in this bitch. So go pick up a copy of Hunter Biden's memoir. <laughs> this is absolutely insane. Jesus Christ. Brian Stelter, you silly fuck. What a douche. I mean, I just can't. I feel like Brian Stelter was the kid in elementary school that like was ta- he's a tattletale. Like it seems like he just got a job being a tattletale. His resume is like I started tattletaling on kids when I was in kindergarten and never stopped. I found out, I found out it was very productive for me. Like that seems like the, the personality this man has. And speaking of Jordan Peterson and weak men, this is what I'm talking about. Brian Stelter is a weak man. Sean Hannity is also a weak man. Brian Stelter is the Sean Hannity of CNN. Cowardice, hyperbolic, counterfactual, pandering. It's the same. Except one looks like a pussy and one pretends not to be a pussy. That's the only difference. So Brian Stelter, I'm sure we'll keep talking about you on this show because you're just going to keep getting paid millions of dollars to cry like a little bitch. It's story time here on Politically Homeless. I'm going to read you a nice, beautiful little story from The Atlantic. Vaccine refusals will come at a cost for all of us. People who refuse to get the COVID-19 vaccine will have higher health care costs. The rest of the world will foot the bill. Oh, really? I'm intrigued. Atlantic. This is by Edward Isaac Doveri. Imagine it's 2026. A man shows up in the emergency room. Wheezing. He's got pneumonia. It's hitting him hard. He tells one of the doctors that he had, a, had COVID-19 a few years earlier in late 2021. He had refused to get the vaccine and ended up contracting the virus months after most people have gotten their shots. Why did he refuse? Something about politics or pushing back on government control or a post he saw on Facebook. He doesn't really remember. His lungs do, though. By the end of the day, he's on a ventilator. You'll pay for this man's decisions. So will I. We all will. Insurance premiums, if he has a plan with your provider or in tax dollars, if the emergency room he goes to is in a public hospital, the vaccine refusers could cost us billions, maybe more, over the next few decades with all the complications they could develop. And we can't do anything about it except hope that more people get their shots than those who say they will right now. If the 30% of Americans who are telling pollsters they won't get vaccinated follow through, the cost of their decisions will pile up. The economy will take longer to get back to full speed. And once it does, it could shut down again by outbreaks. Variants will continue to spread and people will die. Each COVID-19 case requires weeks of costly rehabilitation. Even after the pandemic fades, millions of vaccine refusers could turn into hundreds of thousands of patients who need extra care should they come down with a disease. Their bet that they've outsmarted the coronavirus or their insistence that Anthony Fauci and Bill Gates are trying to trick them will not stop them from going to the doctor and trying to ha- 
when they're having trouble breathing, dealing with extreme fatigue, or struggling with other lasting effects of COVID-19. A new study found that 34% of COVID-19 survivors are diagnosed with a neurological or psychological condition within six months of recovering from the illness. <laughs> okay, so this is some guy from the Atlantic who's just like getting super hyperbolic about the cost that people that are unvaccinated could have um, on all of us. On all of us, uh, via taxpayer dollars, uh, if they if if you're insured through their provider, yada yada yada, all these things, and he's talking about COVID nineteen uh, vaccine deniers, right? But what it sounds like he's talking about to me actually is obese people. The Everything he's laying out is not something that can happen in 2026. That's something that's been happening for the past 20 fucking years, thanks to the obesity epidemic within our nation, right? And now that has a lot to do with Coca-Cola telling us what is nutritionally acceptable within our country, thanks to cronyism and, and corruption. That has a lot to do with our corrupt healthcare system that survives on people being unwell. There's a lot of components that go into that, but... Vaccine deniers of COVID-19, I don't think are going to have the same strain as, I don't know, what is it, 40, 50, 60% of Americans that are overweight or obese? I think that has a little bit of a bigger strain. Also, isn't obesity a, 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 the number two comorbidity aside from age with COVID-19? Maybe we should talk about that or we'd be fat shaming. Oh, we'd be fat shaming. We'd be hurting people's feelings by saying that. But saying that people don't necessarily trust uh, Johnson & Johnson or Pfizer or Merck or whoever else who's making a vaccine, because they have good reason to, due to their history, mm, those people are the problem. Those people are the problem. Not obesity. Not a food pyramid that is pretty much guaranteed to give you diabetes if you follow it. The corruption that led to the healthcare crisis that we have in our country today that, you know, the federal government and the corporations are not accountable for, but we are, thanks to our healthcare premiums and our tax dollars. What this guy inadvertently is talking about is the obesity epidemic. Hands fucking down. Hands down. He goes on to say, imagine, or it goes on to say, um, the economic cost of the vaccine refusal aren't yet a major part of the political conversation because they're not ever going to be. But the obesity epidemic isn't either, and that's actually a real problem. Uh, that's likely to change as we move past this first year of the pandemic. Someone's, you have a liberty right, and that unfortunately is imposing on everyone else and their liberty right not to have to pay for your stubbornness. And that's maddening. Yeah, it is maddening because you're talking about obesity, not COVID vaccine deniers. Okay, I, I, I'm... I'm been maddened about this since college when I started to understand what this whole system was about. Okay, you're right. It is maddening. And that was Jay Inslee, the governor of Washington. So this is absurd. This is absurd. We have this coming out, right? This like this dystopian tale that this dickhead wrote on fucking the Atlantic. And then we have this. Several states halt Johnson & Johnson vaccine after US, U.S. regulators recommend pause. Now, six women have developed some strange blood clot situations. One has died. One is in critical condition. But do you really think, here's, a, here's the question, do you really think that J&J and these states would halt it if they really thought it was only six people out of the however many million they vaccinated? Do you really think it's just six? That's a question. That doesn't, make, that doesn't add up because six out of some out some, some of million, six out of one million isn't a lot, right? If it really is that effective and COVID-19 is really that big of a deal, um, then, well, that would indicate that, like, you know, that's part of that's a side effect. It's normal. 
It's normal to have people have adverse reactions to medication. Very normal. Okay, so six out of some three million or something, not a huge deal on the whole. So do you really think they're halting it based on six cases? Or do you think there's things that they know that we don't know that are scaring them a little bit? It's worth thinking about, right? Because it doesn't really add up. Just like so much, so many other things that are happening in our world today just doesn't really add up. So we'll see what the long-term consequences of these vaccines are. J&J is halted. The other ones are not. And there's been adverse reactions of other ones. I think there's been a lot of, uh, a, a lot of uh, miscarriages that have happened with various vaccines. We'll see. We'll see what the data shows. But I'm sure as fuck... Not going to find out via personal experience. That's for damn sure. So we've got to do this as promised. Here we are talking about the Project Veritas bombshell uh, that has gone under the hashtag expose CNN. Now, I pulled up Charlie Kirk's retweet of this year because he says absolute bombshell from James O'Keefe and the project and Project Veritas. The tech director at CNN is on camera admitting that they ran a propaganda operation to get Trump out of office. This was the real election interference. <laughs> how many different wait, how many different things can you guys say are the real election interference? Okay, you're, what you're doing, and just by reading that tweet, you're telling us something we should all already know, right? Like, CNN is a propaganda network. Fox News is a propaganda network. OAN, Project Veritas, MSNBC, they are ally, allies with certain parties, and they run hyper-biased, hyper-partisan content to reach their base. They are all de facto propaganda networks. This is not a surprise to anyone. And if it is, you got to get your shit together because this is completely obvious. So let's go ahead and see what they what they have here, what they what they're uh, exposing. I think I, I think we got him through this term. We would always show shots of him jogging, him in aviator shades, and like a, like you paint him as a young geriatric. <laughs> I do love that with the aviator shades, and you paint him as a young geriatric. <laughs> <laughs> Which they did a pretty decent job of doing, actually. <laughs> Young geriatric, that's amazing. We were creating a story there that we didn't know anything about. You know, we were, so that's, that's, I think that's probably it. Look what we did. We got Trump back. I am 100% going to say it. And I 100% believe it. That if it wasn't for CNN, I don't know that Trump would have got voted out. Our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? Without saying it, that's what it was, right? So our next You didn't have to say it. It was pretty fucking clear. Like, the thing is, he did admit to it that it's propaganda, which shows an ounce of self-awareness, which I didn't know uh, Democrats had. But it was it was obvious, incredibly obvious. Next thing is going to be for climate change awareness. Do you think it's going to be just like a lot of like fear, like climate? Yeah, fear sells, fear sells. No one ever says those things out loud, but it's obvious. No one ever says them out loud. It's obvious. CNN is the most trusted name in news, but a CNN director is on tape telling us that they're propaganda, helping a certain political candidate 
employees admitting what we've always known to be true. Trump uh, was, uh, I, I don't know, like his hand was shaking or whatever. Like we brought in like so many medical people to like all tell a story that like it was all speculation that he was like neurological damage, like that he was losing it, he's unfit to, you know, whatever. We were. This was always a funny one. People like talked about Trump's neurological situation when they were supporting Biden. I was, I was like, is this, is this, there's, there's a clear contradiction in what you're saying here because Biden is in cognitive decline. It's obvious. Uh, and Trump is quite a bit sharper, just like Bernie's a little bit older than Biden, I think. And he's much sharper than Biden is. Uh, so this was always, it, it, this never it, like landed with me. It, it's yeah. Weird. We were creating a story there that we didn't know anything about. You know, we were, I think there's just like a COVID fatigue. So like whenever there is a COVID story comes up. <laughs> I love how this guy's actually super aware of what the fuck is going on. He's creating propaganda. There's COVID fatigue. Um, yeah, there's Trump fatigue too. We've seen that in the ratings of Fox News and, and OAN and their, all their ratings are down in the tank as well. So like there's just fatigue on outreach. I think there's outreach fatigue, honestly. They're going to latch onto it. They've already announced in her office that once the public is will be open to it, we're going to start focusing mainly on climate. It's our it's going to be our focus. Like uh, like our, our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? Without it saying it, that's what it was, right? So our next thing is going to be for climate change awareness. The head of the network, like just who's that? Is that Zucker? Zucker, yeah. Climate change is going to be the next COVID thing just so you know. We're going to, we're going to hone in. Focus. Our focus was to get Trump out of office, right? All right, so that's it. So, and they're going to focus on climate change now, which it'd be nice because now they're actually going to focus on something that seems to matter. I hope they take an actual uh, realistic approach to it and talk about pollution, pollution as a whole, uh, single-use plastics, the American corporations that contribute to, Amer uh, to, to the single-use plastic uh, around the world, and then deflect responsibility on Indonesia, who doesn't have a waste management network like we have here. So much of the trash that is supplied by the United States to Indonesia ends up in the ocean, and then we blame them for polluting, even though we supplied them with things they weren't ready for because they don't have an infrastructure to handle large amounts of trash. Anyways, I hope they take that approach, but I doubt they will. I think they'll just circle jerk each other until into oblivion. But I want to just highlight how much of a non-story this is. And, and I did post about this on Instagram and Twitter today, and I got some pushback saying like, oh, explain to me how Project Veritas is a propaganda network. I use that term uh, loosely, I guess, or, or, or liberally. I use that term liberally, but it, it, it goes to highlight extreme bias. Right to me, Charlie Kirk is a propagandist. Rachel Maddow is a propagandist. Like these are they are equal. Sean Hannity loves propaganda. Brian Stelter loves prop is a propagandist as well. Like this is what this is what it is. Extreme bias is not journalism. It's propaganda. Okay. So to say like one has a bigger audience than the other. I mean James O'Keefe has a super sketchy background. Like he's just a, he's just a, he's a sycophant. It'd be nice if he used the, the the resources at his disposal to maybe expose things within the Republican Party and make the Republican Party stronger. I would appreciate that. That'd be great. But he would only do that if it was somebody who Trump didn't like because he has an allegiance to a person, to an ideology, which makes what he does propaganda in the same way that CNN has an allegiance to an ideology and it makes what they do propaganda. It's fucking simple.
This is not a complicated issue. And the pushback, right? Because you'll have some people being like, CNN isn't propaganda. And some people will be like, Project Veritas isn't propaganda. Look at what you're saying. Look at what you're saying. You can either say they're neither one of them are propaganda or both of them are propaganda, but you can't say one is and the other isn't because that has to do with your ideology and your cognitive bias, not reality. So we have confirmation of something we already knew. This to me is about as surprising as when a flat earther decides that the, the globe is round, that the earth is round. Like, uh, congratulations on realizing something that everybody else fucking already knew and putting in the work for this bombshell that is not surprising whatsoever. It's like walking into a surprise birthday party that you know is happening that you planned yourself. So we have propaganda outlets calling propaganda outlets, propaganda outlets, and it's just a gigantic circle jerk for attention and clicks. And, you know, Charlie has 2,400 retweets on this right now, 159 quote tweets, 4,000 some odd likes. So gave him something to do today, gave me something to do today and something to talk about, which is the least surprising bombshell story I've seen since finding out that Russia gate was bullshit. So let's move on, shall we? Let's do the thing. It's that time of the show. It's a long one today. Jeez, we're really going for it. It's that time of the show where I give you something to think about. Okay. First off, I hope you've enjoyed this show. I used to say on my other podcast, if you make it to the very end of the show, you have a special place in my heart. And I feel the same way about this one. And, you know, having a, having a history in, in personal development and being fascinated with human behavior since my early 20s. And this is something that, you know, what I try and do here on the show is kind of overlay a, a, a pretty decent understanding of, of human behavior science onto politics, which is essentially um, our, uh, it's a, just a giant human behavior experiment. That's what the, the like borders are. That's what countries are. That's what governments are. That's what media is. That's what politics are. And I think that's beautiful. But I look at this and, and I, I just kind of came up with this idea, this like cognitive fuckery, this like cognitive slippery slope of believing bullshit. And, you know, I realized that, Believing bullshit actually does one thing really, really well. It makes you astonishingly good at believing more bullshit. Now, when you add confirmation bias to that, and the fact that confirmation bias is essential for human productivity and efficiency of cognitive processing, well, you end up in a really dangerous situation, what I'm calling cognitive fuckery. Now, Let's start with some foundational belief systems, right? We'll just oppose to Christianity believes that a, th this world was created by a sky God for humans, for Adam and Eve. And the, you know, Eve was made out of the rib and they kind of overlooked the whole Lilith thing and just kind of go on with Adam and Eve and forget there was another woman before that. But she like rebelled and you know, whatever, whatever that whole thing. They, they ignore that completely, but it doesn't matter. Um, and they were like made of this thing. And then there was like a snake and the whole deal. And then here we are. 
um, which is clearly silly. <laughs> right? It's silly. And then atheists believe that uh, there's nothing mystical or magical about the human experience or human consciousness or life. And when you die, the lights go out and that's it. And you're meaningless. Um, and it's kind of a nihilistic view. Also silly, both ridiculous and both foundational belief systems for people because people need to believe in something that is part of our cognitive processing as well. So we can call both of those and I'm going to upset people on both sides, but they're both kind of bullshit. Okay. They've been manipulated and they leverage different things for different reasons. And that's fine. And believe what you want to believe. I think belief systems are important. Um, I lean Buddhist and also a lot of the Buddhist teachings are also bullshit. They just have a good moral of the story. I don't need to believe that any of those things are fact. That's why I defend it. And it makes sense to me psychologically, but there I am again, pointing out my cognitive bias because it exists. So I'm defending my thing while calling other things bullshit, which makes me a bullshitter. Anyways, all of these things, right? So you believe something that's not true and you stack up evidence via confirmation bias to continue to believe that thing. And now as we go on, you're more likely to believe things that fit within your framework of reality, right? Via confirmation bias. You kind of put these boundaries on what you are or can conceptually believe. So for some people, they believe that Jeffrey Epstein killed himself, which is clearly bullshit. Some people believe that critical race theory is important. Clearly bullshit, right? Some people think that the Clintons are good people. Bullshit. Some people think that MSNBC is news. Also bullshit. Some people think that Donald Trump cares about them. Bullshit, bullshit, bullshit. Okay, some people think that the food pyramid and nine servings of grain per day is a way to live a healthy lifestyle. Bullshit. And uh, some people think that liberals are communists and conservatives are racist, fascists. Both are bullshit. So what got me thinking about all this is just how much bullshit people are willing to to believe, and, and it's been really fascinating for me to try and track that down. And I have to really track that down to the origin of the bullshit that you believed first and still believe in. That creates your framework for believing nonsense. Whatever fairy tales you want to tell yourself, whether you're a Christian or an atheist or a Buddhist or whatever, whatever belief system you uh, believe in, whether it's just wokeness in general. Right? Maybe it's that all white people are racist, which is kind of the critical race theory idea. Not true, but you can believe it. You have the right to believe whatever you want. But if you want to do some self-investigation and, and have something to think about and be curious about your own cognitive processing, you might want to track down and reverse engineer when you started drinking the Kool-Aid, when you started buying the bullshit. And when you do that, you might expose some things about yourself, right? And maybe there's something that you used to think was true, like Santa Claus, right? That you don't anymore, but still that kind of paved a neurological pathway for you to believe something that wasn't true because it benefited you, right? If you believed in Santa and were a good boy or girl or non-binary person, then you would get something for that. If you're a good boy or girl and believe that Trump really loves you and is out, to, out for your best interest, you get rewarded by maybe Instagram followers or maybe your community will really appreciate it. And maybe you believe that Biden is the next FDR well, your community will really appreciate that. You'll get a gift for that. So, so many things, right? If you believe that critical race theory should be forced upon everybody, and they don't believe it. They should go to re-education camps and you live in Portland. 
Well, you'll get something for that. You'll get a gift. Sweet, sweet Santa is going to bring you a gift and put a bow on it. And that gift is validation. So we have to be really aware of the way that these cognitive bias, this cognitive fuckery manipulates us. We oftentimes are our worst enemy when it comes to being rational actors. And it takes calling yourself out. It takes being a resilient human being. Maybe if you hate Jordan Peterson, you should pick up his book, <laughs> right? Maybe if you hate uh, libertarians, you should read some Ayn Rand. Maybe if you hate communists, you should read the Communist Manifesto. Get into some Marx. Challenge yourself. Get outside of that paradigm. Start to understand. And maybe it won't necessarily change your decision, but it will change your mind and the way that you see others. And with that compassion and curiosity, and that level of self-reflection, we end up becoming more resilient human being. And then you can wage the war within yourself on your own cognitive fuckery. That's all we got for y'all today. I really appreciate everybody for being here and hanging around for a long episode. Again, I think we may have to split these things into two. We'll see. Make sure to check out the Politically Homeless Patreon. If you made it to the end of the episode and you're not in the Patreon, you are missing out. It's six fucking dollars a month. Get it together. Use that stimulus money. Please. I would appreciate it. Love you guys. Keep your head on straight. We'll see you next time. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.